welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. So I'm going to take a page out of the youth ministry book this morning. Uh, We're going to start off with a little bit of audience participation. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, I promise. It's going to be good. All right. If God's been faithful to you this morning, I just want to start, just, just raise your hand. If God's been faithful, if you can testify to that this morning, raise your hand, okay? You can put them down, amen. If you can say that God has been good to you this morning, raise your hand. Okay, good, good. We passed the test. See, it was painless. It was painless. No, I did see the look in some of y'all's eyes, though. Y'all, y'all got a little afraid as soon as I said audience participation, but it's going to be all right. So I did this little exercise this morning so that we could all be encouraged not only by God's goodness to us as individuals, but also by God's goodness to us collectively as the body of Christ, as the church. God has been faithful to his people. And in the place we pick up in Ezra, in this story that we've been walking through these past uh, few weeks now, the people of God have done the same thing that we've just done. They reflect, they look back, they pause, and they rewind. At this point, it's been 23 years since they've returned from exile. If you remember, uh, as Pastor Jared's preached so faithfully, uh, they started off with their temple being destroyed. God judged them for their unfaithfulness to him. They had worshipped other idols, other gods, and God used the Assyrians and the Babylonians to destroy their temple and to send their people away, to send them to Babylonia. So they spent 70 years over there. Well, then a decree came out from a pagan king, a king named Cyrus, to allow some people to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple. So a group went back, and they began to rebuild this temple. They rebuilt the altar of God. They laid the foundation for the temple. But then if you remember, the work came to a halt. Adversaries came along, and they discouraged the people. They struck fear into their hearts, and they bribed them. So they stopped. For about 16 years, they did absolutely nothing. They lost hope in the mission that God had called them to go into. They lost hope that the temple that they would rebuild one day would even stand. They lost all their motivation for finishing the job that they had started. And then as we saw last week, God used the prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, to talk some sense into these people to get them back to work. Well, in chapter 6, we see another political leader come on the scene, and he's opposing the Israelites. This guy asked the new king, Darius, to confirm that Israel has even been ordered to do this by Cyrus. And Darius, who's another pagan king who worships other gods, he tells his governor not only that Israel has been ordered to do this, but that they better be left alone. Now, why did I tell you that? You've been here for the sermon series. You've listened Uh, as Pastor Jared's preached these past few weeks. But I want us to be reminded of the full picture. Throughout a span of 23 years, and even before that, God has displayed great faithfulness unto his people. He didn't let unbelieving rulers, unmotivated workers, or unfaithful followers get in the way of the work that he wanted to do in the lives of his people. And here in chapter 6, verses 19 through 22, we get a short little story about the Passover. 
It's a story we often would just skim right through, that we would just pass right over as we read our Bibles. But in this text, we see that God's people rejoiced over God's redemptive work by remembering his faithfulness and obeying his commands. What I want you to understand and take away this morning from this passage is that God has been faithful, so we should rejoice and obey him. So our first response to God's faithfulness in our lives is rejoicing. When we read the text, we see the people observe the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. These times were set aside for the purpose of rejoicing. God instituted two joint holidays, two holidays that are connected together. He instituted this all the way back in Exodus for the people of Israel to observe. The Jews celebrated Passover as a way to remember what God had done for them when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. You guys know the story of Exodus? You know the story of Moses? In chapter 12, the final plague that God used to convince Pharaoh to let the people go, it was killing the firstborns of the Egyptians. Every firstborn in the land, if they were Egyptian, they were killed by God. But God, in his mercy, passed over those who marked their, door, their doorposts with the blood of the lamb. This became known as the Passover, as God was passing over them in his grace. This nation was to observe this memorial day every year following this, so that they would not forget what the Lord had done. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was the seven-day feast that followed this Passover, where they didn't eat any bread with leaven for seven days. Pretty self-explanatory. But today we're going to participate in the Lord's Supper. When we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to remember and we're going to celebrate how God delivered us through Jesus. In Jesus' death and his resurrection, we were freed and we were delivered from sin, just as the Israelites were delivered in the Exodus. It's a similar concept, except the Passover is celebrated about once a year. But by celebrating this holiday, it gave the people a time to rejoice. This may come as a, as a surprise, but the first thing we see them rejoice in in this text is not what God did, even though we can get caught up in that, but it's who God is. Look at verse 22. It says this, And they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. We find here just by reading the verse that what brought joy to the returned exiles was God himself. God brought them joy. More specifically, it was God's character that brought them joy. It's the fact that he's the promise keeper who kept his covenant with Abraham and with Moses and eventually with David. He kept his word which was spoken through the prophets to preserve a remnant that would return to Jerusalem after the exile. Do you ever rejoice or be glad because of who God is? I feel like often we tend to rejoice only in what God's done for us. We praise him for the good things that he's done in our lives and there's nothing wrong with that. But brothers and sisters, the truth is God is worthy and deserving of our praise. He's good regardless of what he's done. God is good because he is God. He's holy. He's creator. He's sovereign over all things, and he's worthy of our praise for it. So I want to challenge you this morning. When you sing, when you pray, and as you live, rejoice and praise God for who he is. Spend some time praising him for some of these attributes that make him who he is that 
really don't have anything to do with what he's done for us. And let God himself bring you joy. Well, we see in the text that they do still rejoice and praise God for the work that he's done. At this point in the story, the returned exiles are on cloud nine. They're fired up, they're celebrating, and they're asking the question, how in the world did we get here? Now, I'm going to tell a story. It's kind of fitting because it's the Super Bowl uh, day. And as much as it pains me as a Falcons fan to share this story, uh, it made me think of the Saints Super Bowl 14 years ago. Uh, a few years removed from Hurricane Katrina, uh, you know, the Saints played in the, sta- in the same stadium that held around 16,000 people in the aftermath of the hurricane. They'd been un- unable to play the entire 2005 season in the Superdome because of the flood damage. There was talk of relocating the team to another state, but just four seasons later, they win the Super Bowl. You know, I came up on an article the other day of Drew Brees talking about it, and I like what he said after the game. He said, four years ago, whoever thought this would be happening when 85% of the city was underwater? Most people left not knowing if New Orleans would ever come back or if the organization would ever come back. We just all looked at one another and said, we're going to rebuild together. We're going to lean on each other. This is the culmination of all that belief. The Israelites had their capital city destroyed. They're deported to a foreign land where they're ruled by a foreign king who didn't worship Yahweh, their God. Then God brings them back. And I'm sure that they were looking around asking each other, just as Drew asked, whoever thought this would be happening? And the answer is simple. God did. And God's sovereignty and in his grand plan, he not only brought them up out of exile, but he changed the heart of a pagan king to allow them to rebuild their temple. So they celebrated the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great joy. Brothers and sisters, let me make an appeal to you for one moment. God's done great things in our lives. We just testified to that. We just participated in sharing that with one another. He saved us. He's changed us. He's transformed us. Who would have thought? Let us rejoice in that this morning. Let us praise God for his work. There may be some here who haven't placed your faith in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You may feel that God's done nothing for you in your life, that he hasn't been there for you, that he has answered your prayers, but I'm here to tell you that God has done great things for you as well this morning. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 5, verse 45, that he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Whether you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ or not, you've received God's common grace. In addition to that, he's brought you here today to hear his word being preached. He's doing a good work in your life by preserving your life and by drawing you to himself giving you an opportunity to respond in faith to him today. You can rejoice in God's work too. And what better way to do that by placing your faith in him today? Well, the second action God's faithfulness should bring in our lives is obedience. We see in the text that God's people are motivated by God's faithfulness to follow the commands that he laid out for them. This text shows us the message, the method, and the means by which people obey. Look at verse 19. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. Now, when you read that verse, it doesn't teach us anything about obedience based off of first glance. It's just pretty clear cut. They celebrated the Passover. 
But when you realize the background, you recognize that this is a profound statement in itself. They celebrated the Passover. So let me walk you through why this is so important. I mentioned Exodus 12 earlier, but I'm going to read you a verse out of Exodus 12. Starting in verse 17, it says this. And you shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this day I brought your host out of the land of Egypt. Therefore you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever, forever. The Passover was to be a yearly celebration that the Israelites always observed in the first month of their calendar. Well, a few years later, when the Israelites were wandering around in the wilderness because of their sin, we see in Numbers chapter 9 that some of these men were unclean. So they couldn't celebrate the Passover until the second month. They failed to obey the Passover as God had intended because they weren't clean. Well, we see the next time that the Israelites observe the Passover is in Joshua 5. After they enter the promised land, they do it right that time. After that, there's no recording of the Passover being celebrated correctly in Scripture until King Josiah reinstitutes it 700 years later. 700 years go by without the Passover being celebrated. Well, the Passover likely stopped after Josiah dies because we know from Scripture that Josiah's children were unfaithful. They were wicked. They were disobedient. So that's another hundred years that went by until we get to our passage today. So for over 800 years, the Passover was recorded as being celebrated correctly as God intended one time. 800 years, the Passover was celebrated correctly one time. The people didn't obey God's word to them for 800 years. Not with David, not with Solomon, not with the most faithful kings that you can think of. 800 years went by with the Passover being celebrated once. So we see in this passage that these returned exiles obeyed this message. They obeyed the message, and that's profound in itself. But how does this apply to us today as believers in the 21st century that don't celebrate the Passover The message that God calls us to obey is right here. It's in this Bible. That's the message that God calls us to obey. It begins with the gospel, but it extends to include Christian living. We must, as believers, be students of God's message to us, the Bible, so that we can obey it, so we can follow it, so that we don't go our whole lives, and that we don't go generation after generation without obeying God's command, like the Israelites did. We cannot be satisfied with knowing the basics of the faith, but we have to dig deep into the scriptures, studying them, learning them, talking about them, thinking about them, meditating on them, and sharing them. And this principle will lead us to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, verse 11, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Now, what is the method by which we act out this obedience? Well, when we study the Bible, we realize God commands us to be set apart. He commands us to be holy. You see that in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. Peter quotes an Old Testament passage in which God tells us, Be holy as I am holy. And that is our method to obeying God. It's simple, it's clear-cut, be holy. We see this demonstrated in our passage this morning. Look at verse 20. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. So we see the priests and Levites purify themselves. Now, this is talking about ritual purity. That doesn't mean sinfulness. 
They cleanse themselves with ritual bathing for the purpose of being unstained from anything unclean. So what the Israelites had failed to do in Numbers 9 and in 2 Chronicles with Hezekiah's Passover. But here in this text, we see that the priests and Levites are ensuring that they're unstained from the things of the world. But more importantly, in this passage, we see the slaughtering of the Passover lamb for all of the returned exiles. We see that the people make a sacrifice to atone for their sins. They desire to come into this Passover innocence before Yahweh. As they remember God's faithfulness to them throughout generations, they deal with the sin in their lives so that they can be set apart and they can be holy. Friends, we're blessed to be on this side of the cross. This makes it easier for us today. We don't have to make sacrifices unto God to atone for our sin. The Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, has already come for us. And his sacrifice on the cross for us covers all the sin if we place our faith in him. It's through him that we're able to stand before God holy and blameless. And it's through his spirit that we're able to walk and live in obedience to God's word and God's message. So if any of you this morning feel unworthy, if any of you feel unclean, dirty, if any of you feel undeserving of God's faithfulness to you, I urge you, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus this morning. He is the greater Passover lamb. Place your trust in him, and he will make you clean. So we've looked at the message that we're to be obedient to. We've looked at the method by which we obey God. Now we're going to look at the means by which we obey God. And that is in community. Look at verse 21. It says this, And it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. We see in these verses that the covenant people of God participate together in celebrating the Passover. They all collectively reinstate this holiday that God commanded long ago. Ethnic Jews and Jewish converts come together here in this beautiful pursuit of obedience unto God. We're reminded here of God's global plan of salvation, a plan that goes past our city, that goes past our state, that goes past our country, that goes to all the nations. It's a global plan of salvation that God has placed us within. We're reminded of this. God desires to be worshipped and obeyed by peoples of all kinds, every tribe, tongue, and nation. We at Riverside Church are a part of a global body of Christ. We're a part of people from every tribe and tongue and nation. And we ultimately need one another in this pursuit of obedience unto God. We need each other. People of different backgrounds, different perspectives, different ages and stages of life. We need each other to walk together. We need each other to chase after God together. As a church family, we need to encourage one another to chase after godliness in our lives. God has been faithful to each and every one of us. We just testified to that. And we need to remind one another of that. So as I close, as we move forward in our service to the Lord's Supper, here's the direct application. Remember God's faithfulness. Remember God's kindness to you through sending his son. Rejoice in the fact that he's delivered you from sin and from death. And as you partake in the Lord's Supper this morning, allow the joy of Christ to fill your hearts because you are redeemed.
But don't let it stop there. Before you partake in the Lord's Supper, make sure that you're right before God. We see in this text a, a model that's set for us. Confess your sin unto God. Come, and as you remember in this act of worship, be clean and be holy as you confess unto God the sins that you've committed. That you can worship God in a place where you are holy and blameless before him. And when we leave here today, let God's faithfulness bring you to obedience in him. Obey his word. Obey by being holy. And obey by leaning on one another. Let's pray together.